Well, let's start today with the true story about the Providence Church in North Carolina, known as a miracle church. You go back to 1874, the members wanted to build on prime property in North Carolina. The property was owned by Samuel Sadler, and he refused to sell the property where they wanted to build, so they built the church down the road a few blocks. And then in 1876, there was this hurricane and waters five feet you know, five feet deep, went through the, the town, and it picked up this church that was being built. I'll read what the, the members wrote as they recalled the incident, and they shared this. A miracle is happening. The church was floating down the road. The church moved by the hand of God. It went straight down the road to a corner, bumped into a general store. Then a curious thing happened. The building took a sharp right turn, headed down the road for about two blocks, till it reached the corner of now Church Street. Then it moved slightly off the straight line course, took another turn to the left, crossed Carawan Canal directly in front of the place where the people desired the church to be, and it settled exactly in the center of Sam Sadler's property, the site which had been refused. Pretty amazing story. What happened is then Mr. Sadler then sold the property to the church, it still stands in that place today where the floodwaters moved it to where they originally wanted it to be. Just a great story about God in our life. You know, John Maxwell said it well, feed your faith, starve your doubts. So I want to share some things about feeding our faith, a story from the Apostle Paul's life, maybe a less known story, and so that our faith can be fed and we can know some steps that you and I can take today to, to live life in victory, no matter what is happening. Acts chapter 28, Luke is recounting here a, a scene in Paul's life. Acts chapter 27, what happened is Paul was sent by boat. He's going to stand trial in Rome before Caesar. He's on trial for sharing the gospel in different towns, and he was forbidden to go there and preach, but he did. And now he's going to be on trial as a Roman citizen, and he's on this ship. And there's a storm, and the ship crashes on an island called Malta. And now you get to Acts chapter 28, and Luke's going to tell us what happens when they crash on this island. We were on Malta. The people who lived there were very good to us. It was raining and very cold. They made a fire, and they welcomed us. Something's going to happen here to Paul in a moment but think about what Matthew Henry said, you know, 400 years ago. Some are made examples in this world to prove that there is a God. Our life can be an example to the world to show others the promise, you know, that God exists and everything that Jesus says is true. We're going to see Paul is about to be made that example. And, you know, the promise is there that we can live in that same light, evidence of God's grace. We're told what happens next. Remember, they've crashed on the island now. It's raining. It's pouring. Acts chapter 28 continues. Paul gathered a pile of sticks, was putting them on the fire, when a poisonous viper came out because of the heat and bit him on the hand. Notice clearly that there's the story on the surface, what you can see, but what's the spiritual implications happening here? Paul is this minister of the gospel, He's building a fire. Out of the fire comes a poisonous viper. The spiritual lesson is clear. You know, going all the way back to Genesis, the enemy, Satan himself, you know, 
identified as a snake all throughout scripture that imagery continues through the new testament you know the one from the fire and now the snake from the fire poisonous viper is going to bite paul and what's going to happen here is the spiritual lesson for you and i on how to victory even when the enemy comes in like a flood we all know luke chapter 10 verse 19 jesus says i've given you power to trample snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. He's not talking here about reptiles and insects, you know, snakes and scorpions. It's, it's about spiritual warfare. It's about the demonic oppression that happens. It's about confronting the, the evil in the world and overcoming it. You notice Jesus says, I give you power over the power of the enemy. So there's power that we have, and there's the power that Satan has. That word, though, for power is not the same word in both instances. Listen to the amplified version. I've given you authority you now possess to tread on serpents, the ability to exercise authority over the power of Satan. Notice again here, some translations here. You know, power, it's the right word, but we would more identify with authority. As the New King James says, I give you authority. English Standard Version, I give you authority. New Living Translation, look, I have given you authority. Aramaic English, I've given you authority. You know, Barry Johnson says it well. Jesus said we have authority over the power Satan has, and it means this. Satan cannot do whatever he wants to do when he's in the presence of someone who understands what they have. When you and I understand the authority we have over the power of Satan, his kingdom, when the church understands that, we won't see all the sin that's around us. You know, people that say, you know, how come this is happening? Or why doesn't somebody do something? We have to look in the mirror and understand that authority is there invested in us, but we have to use it. You know, we have to speak differently when we have authority and recognize that authority. As I've shared, my wife and I, we work with horses. She trains much more than I do, but you can be 100 pounds in control of a 1,500-pound horse. When you understand authority, you can't outmuscle that animal. When it comes to power, his power physically is stronger. And if that horse knows that you're intimidated, afraid, it will walk over you, it'll bite you, it will kick you. But when you recognize your authority and that horse recognizes that you know your own authority, that's how you can be 100 pounds and control this 1,500-pound horse. It's when you stand with that strength and that confidence and that body language and that tone of voice and you have that fearlessness, that's authority. And that horse then is going to listen. Instead of walking all over you, it's the same in life. You know, a weak prayer, I hope this happens, that's not authority. When you and I stand in the authority of Christ and we stand there with strength and courage, not the fears and the chaos, that's when the enemy flees. Choco de Jesus said it well, whatever you don't confront today, your kids will have to face tomorrow. When we recognize our authority, we can say, you know what, maybe there's generations in my family with dysfunction, but it ends with me because I take with my authority and I claim the promises of Christ. Maybe it's an addiction that's run rampant for years in your family and you stand up today and say, I declare in Christ that this ends now. And I take my authority and I exercise that. The enemy no longer walks over me and mine. I'll give you an example of this. Mike Shreve shared, you know, he did something, you know, not advised, but, you know, in a car with a hitchhiker. And, and this man suddenly pulls a knife on him when they're in the middle of the country and says he's going to take his life. Now, most people would be frightened by that and react in fear. 
And Mike Shreve, though, he felt the authority rise up inside him, and he said this, I loudly and boldly proclaim to that man, one day you're going to stand before God and give an account for every deed you've done in the body. If you are rejected by God, you will hear him say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you. You need deliverance. You have opened a door to evil. The only thing that can shut that door is calling on the name of Jesus and being washed in his precious blood. And that man fell to his knees, dropped the knife, began to weep, and for 20 minutes they prayed together. He gave his life to Christ. That's exercising authority, but it has to be something that you and I believe it in our hearts and stand in that strength and know it. Notice what happens here as Acts continue. The people on the island saw the snake hanging from Paul's hands. They said to each other, this man must be a murderer. Justice does not want him to live justice a god of that time the people they see the snake it's bitten paul they began to panic they began to tell each other he must be a terrible person they immediately go to the worst case scenario he's about to die we're told they then began to stand around and watch him waiting on him to drop dead they're fearful who is not panicking though paul's not panicking same way the world panics we should not panic learning to control our state you know any type of goal you want to reach it's 80 percent psychology 20 percent mechanics the psychology is to believe that this is possible and i can make this happen the world's in the chaos and fears and doubts the believer is there to say listen i want to be that miracle example to show that god exists and i believe greater it is he that's in me than he in the world so i don't have that fear you're going to see paul's about to make a statement that that you and i can take and understand for our own life on on why he doesn't panic let me read something from choco de jesus though he says stop waiting to walk into victory begin to start walking with the victory you already have Don't wait for victory, walk with victory, talk with victory, speak with victory, think with victory, because victory happened when Jesus was raised from the dead. We all know John 10.10 when Jesus said, the thief does not come except to steal. For him to steal something, we must have one time owned it. There was something that was in our life that now he's taken away. If you've ever had something stolen, you know, my wife and I, about three times, somebody's broken into our car and taken something. Each time we said, listen, if that person would have asked, we'd have gladly given them whatever they needed. But when somebody steals something, you know, there's frustration there. And for the enemy to come but to steal something, we once had it and he took it. And what has he stolen? Maybe he's stolen your joy in this time. Maybe he's stolen your peace. Maybe he's stolen your marriage maybe he stole on your children maybe stole on your faith and in our authority now in christ it's time to say you know what i take back what the enemy's stolen and i won't let him have it any longer but you and i have to stand in that authority and claim it with our prayers our declarations our speaking for scripture but doing it with a strength that can't be a half-hearted prayer it has to be in that full sense of authority just like a hundred pound person can control that horse when they have that body language and that confidence same thing has to be true for us to say listen this is my inheritance jesus purchased this for me i won't allow the enemy to run roughshod over my life any longer many know the story of Joni erickson tata you know at 17 years old she had a diving accident paralyzed a quadriplegic The enemy tried to steal her faith, steal her witness, 
steal her day-to-day joy. She's now been in a wheelchair close to 60 years. And what she done during that time, she wouldn't let the enemy steal it. She became an artist by learning to paint with a brush between her teeth. She's authored 27 books about Christ, was a columnist for Moody Monthly, an international singer-speaker, hosts a radio show. She founded Jonian Friends, an international ministry for the disabled. You see, the enemy tried to steal, and she said, you won't. Her authority wouldn't allow him to do that. Think about Proverbs 18.21. I know everybody, again, knows this one by heart, but the death and life are in the power of the tongue. That word empower in Hebrew means an open hand. Death and life are in the open hand tied to the tongue. As Mike Shreve says this, if you confess hopelessness, open your hand to receive it. If you confess strength, open your hand to receive it. But stop living beneath your inheritance. You can choose that today. I can choose that today. Whatever we speak with our mouth, our hand is open to receive that. So let us speak forth the promises in Christ and open our hand to receive that. Let us speak forth the victory over the enemy. Open our hand and receive that. Remember again, back in Acts 28, the people, they're watching the snake that's hanging from Paul's hand. You know, there may be things that we've been allowing to hang on too long that the enemy's placed there. Maybe it's a sin or a compromise or a doubt. Someone once said, don't cling to that mistake just because you spent a lot of time making it. You see what Paul did with that snake hanging there. But you and I can choose today again. Whatever might be hanging on that's been there too long to say, this is the end Today, I stop holding on to whatever's stopping me from living in Christ. Richard Feynman said, being wrong isn't a bad thing like they teach you in school. It's an opportunity to learn something. And I pray that what we learn today and learn from Paul's example is that today can begin a new beginning no matter where we might find ourselves when we recognize who we are in Christ and we proclaim that and live that and stand in that authority. As Ivy Hilliard said, if you see what you want, you'll get what you see. So before we see what Paul did in Acts 28, if you go back to Acts chapter 27, verse 23, Paul would testify, an angel said to me, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. An angel said to me, do not be afraid. That's why Paul was not frightened. The crowd, about 300 people, we are told, were there, and they saw the snake, and they're panicking. He's about to die, and Paul doesn't panic because he said, an angel told me, don't be afraid. That's one of the most common phrases throughout Scripture for us as believers, don't be afraid. The world's in chaos. The world's in fear. The world's in doubt. People reach the worst possible conclusions. They confess that, opening their hands to receive that. We confess Christ and open our hand to receive the blessings and the promise in him. Don't be afraid, Paul. When the the hurricane in the sea, he wasn't afraid. When the, the boat hit the island, he wasn't afraid. When now he's helping to start a fire and a snake comes out of that fire, latches onto his hand, he's not afraid. As Mike Shreve shares, most people remind God of their problems when they pray. Men and women of faith remind God of his promises. 
that we would be promise confessors. When the world says there is no way that we confess out loud and boldly, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. When the world confesses loneliness, we profess, I know that the living Christ never leaves me nor forsakes me. When the world professes gain approval, we proclaim it is by grace that I am saved. And grace is greater than all my sin. When the world confesses brokenness and doubts and pain, we confess so great is his love for me, it's as high as the heavens are above the earth. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. So Acts chapter 28, verse 6, we are told this. Here's what Paul did. Paul shook the snake off into the fire and was not hurt. Paul learned to quit reacting to problems in third parties, and he shook the snake off and where back into the fire from which it came. He took authority over the enemy and sent him back into the fire from which he came, and he was not hurt. The poison would not enter his life because he refused to allow it because he stood on the promise of who he was in Christ. And when you and I have that same confidence, that same faith, when we reach down deep and find the courage that is there and we say, I am not afraid. I walk in the victory in Christ and I declare it out loud and I shake off anything that's been hanging on to my life, distracting me or leading me to sin, destroying my family, my community. He controlled his emotions when everybody else was in panic because that's who we're called to be, not moved by the circumstances, but grounded firmly in who we are in Jesus. So let me give an example. Uh, an atheist, a man named Jim, was sharing uh, about how all of this came to light for him. He let go of what he'd been hanging on to found a new life. As Jim would share, he had been an atheist for 52 years. His brother, just a few years younger, was an atheist as well. And then three years ago, he shared something happened. His brother was riding a bike, lost control as he went across the bridge, went over the railing of the bridge. They were on a cliff. And his brother said, I reached out to grab the railing. I missed. I reached out to grab the cliff itself. I missed. And then a hand took mine and pushed me up against the cliff. That's how I climbed back out over the railing into safety. And his brother would testify it was an angel. And he gave his life to Christ in that moment. And Jim, an atheist, listened to that story of his brother and said, you're a man that went to undergraduate school. You're a man that went to graduate school. You're trying to tell me somebody with a master's degree believes that an angel saved your life. He said, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. And he mocked his brother. And he said, clearly you blacked out and we don't know how, but luckily you somehow caught the railing yourself and you just don't recall accurately what took place on the other side of that railing 
But his brother wouldn't change his story. Jim said what happened next is his own wife became a believer in Christ. And he and his wife were close. And so and his wife said, would you go to church with me this one time? It's Mother's Day. He said, I'll go. But the whole time he just sat there writing notes, planning about his fishing trip. He was going to take that afternoon. What type of bait he would need. You know, what was going to be the best location and what he was going to try to catch once he was on the lake. Didn't listen to a thing the whole time he was there. And then it was the end of the service. The only thing he heard was as the pastor closed the service, he said this. Give your wife the greatest gift she'll never forget. Give your life to Jesus Christ. And Jim recounts what happened next. I'll read his words. As swiftly as being struck by lightning, instantly and simultaneously, the following things happened to me. I was overcome by the most powerful wave of emotion I have ever felt. I began to cry, even though I was fighting it hard. I felt the most incredible and peaceful sense of safety and security, as though I had no care in the world, probably how a small child feels being held by his mother. Everything that I knew all my life to be fact concerning God and religion was mysteriously gone and replaced by one, Jesus is Lord, and two, everything I need to know about living is in the Bible. In literally a fraction of a second, I went from atheist to believer. Even though I knew nothing about Jesus, I knew immediately that I was experiencing an unsolicited supernatural encounter. God proved his existence to me when I wasn't even looking. After church, I texted my brother, I've been saved. He immediately called and was ecstatic. He said, what happened to you is inconceivable to most people. He's right. I wouldn't have believed it if it had not happened to me. Perhaps today is the day to start shaking off some things that the enemy's tried to pull into our life to distract us from who we are. Some are made examples in this world to prove that there is a God. That can be true for you and I this moment. This moment when we stop waiting to walk into victory and begin to start walking with the victory we already have. Don't wait for victory. Walk with victory. Talk with victory. Speak with victory. Think with victory. Because victory happened for you and I when Jesus walked out of that tomb, conquering death and hell and the grave, and said, I give unto you all authority over the snakes and the scorpions that you might have abundant life. 